Blog Talk Radio. It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. everybody, welcome to Film Festival Radio Show with me, Janice Malone here. Oh, it's been a busy week. How's your week been? Has it been busy, kind of slow, kind of bored, or kind of exciting? Lots going on, finally. Uh, final four week, well, actually March Madness, started for you sports fans. I should say us sports fans. Films are opening uh, certain cities, certain cities, uh, lots of films television shows premiering on our streaming channels and such as that. So it's a lot. People are slowly, as we all know, slowly getting back into the swing of things. Still got to be safe. Still got to be healthy, though. And so that's why I'm going to bring you two really fascinating guests for today's show. Now, to start with our first guest. Oh, man. She's an author. Her name is, uh, yeah, this, this book is, you're going to just trip out over this. Her name is Erica Engelhopt, and her new book is Something to Behold. It's called Gory Details, Adventures from the Dark Side of Science. Yes, no, this is not a dull, boring, you know, if you're not into the, the STEM professions, of course, Lots of times, science can be a little boring. Not this one. This is a this book is a is a really fascinating journey through the world of bizarre, gross, and sometimes taboo science. Yes, yes. What do I mean? The book answers questions such as this: Would your dog eat you if you died? Mm-hmm. What are face mites? And why do clowns like especially? Pennywise, those kind of clowns. Or with some people, why do clowns, period? Why, even Bozo the Clown, why do clowns creep us out? And did you know, unless you're into, you know, arachnophobia or something like that, I didn't know this. There are like, like multiple, multiple, multiple types of, of species of roaches. Ugh. These are just some of the topics that this book explores and it can be pretty it can be gross but it's very uh informative and you learn a lot some things you may not want to learn but it's good to know about it so if you know of a person who's kind of into this type of oh let me gross you out man if you know somebody that's kind of like that they will love this book and again it's called that gory details adventures from the dark side of science gory details for short and it talks about all the different aspects of biology, anatomy, nature, and then some. So let's bring on Erica Engelhopt, who is the author of this fascinating new book. And I cannot wait to ask her, what is the deal with face mites? And why are people like me, why are we creeped out so much about clowns? So let's bring Erica on right now. Uh, yes. ready, ready to start chatting with you here. Okay. Wonderful. All right. So you have this this new book 
gory details. And what a what an interesting book it is. It's kind of kind of ooky spooky and altogether a little bit ooky there. <laughs> but perfect. I love that description. <laughs> but you know, in, in your case, it's not entertainment per se, but it's real. It's real details. The dark side of science. And so, if you could just share, um, which of course I we got the cheat notes, but just for people who don't know, and we want them, of course, to go out and get mm-hmm. the book, um, give us your summary, your summation of this book, mm-hmm. your new book, and how did you come about to write this new book, Gory Details? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So so Gory Details is really, it's a collection of true stories about all kinds of gross, taboo, and creepy science. And it started off as a blog. Uh, first at Science News Magazine, and then I took it with me when I went to work at National Geographic. Uh, and it was great. You know, I on the blog, I basically got to write about anything that I found really bizarre and fascinating, <laughs> from things like whether your dog might eat you if you die to oh. weird experiments on roaches and the history of bloodletting and all kinds of, as you put it, you know, all the little ooky kooky stuff. Yes. <laughs> so that's how that's how it came about, and... Um, when we decided to turn it into a book, I was able to go do a lot more research um, and add a lot to, uh, you know, stories that I had already done, as well as write a lot of new material and, and travel to some fun places like um, like a maggot farm in Texas and um, a homicide seminar for detectives in Baltimore and uh, and even a lab where I got to find my own face mites. So I've, I've gotten to, to do a lot of new fun stuff, too. So there really is such a thing as face mites. Absolutely, and I have seen them. In fact, I have now seen my own face mites, which was a real highlight of the book research for me personally because as soon as I learned, you know, really basically a couple of years ago that there was such a thing as face mites, and these are they're called demodex mites, um, so they're arachnids, you know, related to spiders. They have eight tiny little legs. And they live in the pores of our faces. Um, they're pretty much on everybody, scientists have come to find in just recent years, in fact. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, I bet I have face mites, and I would love to see them. <laughs> and that's not something that we normally get to see, you know. I mean, these things are microscopic, and they're, you know, deep inside of our pores. And so I, uh, you know, as as a science writer, one of the perks is that you get to call scientists and say things like, hey, can I come to my lab and can you show me my own face mites? (laughs) And they do it. (laughs) Well, okay, I want to know, how do we get rid of face mites? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the truth is you probably can't, and maybe you even shouldn't. (laughs) Uh, There are cases where people, where some people have um, very high numbers of face mites, and there's actually a question as to whether that causes uh, rosacea. Um, oh. So face mites have been have been linked uh, to rosacea because sometimes uh, people who have rosacea tend to have larger numbers of face mites. But as I learned, scientists are starting to kind of rethink whether face mites are entirely a bad thing. Uh, and the scientist who I met with actually said, you know, this is kind of a radical idea, but what if Face mites don't cause rosacea. What if rosacea encourages more face mites, oh, that's <laughs> which is a possibility? 
the people with rosacea where, you know, there's increased blood flow, you know, that's what causes that redness uh, to your face when you have rosacea, that perhaps that creates an environment that the face might like, you know. Uh, so maybe maybe it's the other way around, you know, maybe, maybe the face mites aren't causing it. Now, we don't really know for sure, but we do know that they're in there and they are, our immune systems are, you know, adapted to, to deal with them. They don't cause any problems for most people. I, I had plenty of face mites on my, <laughs> my oh. face as they found when I went to the lab and they don't seem to be causing me any problems. Um, so from what most of us, they might be just kind of a normal part of the ecosystem of our bodies. You know, just like we're learning about all of the microbes that live in our guts yeah. and how those affect us and affect our health. You know, same thing with our skin. You know, there may be things living on and in our skin that maybe they are eating. Maybe the face mites are eating bacteria. Maybe they're doing things that are actually good for us, doing some housekeeping in our pores. <laughs> so maybe it's more of a symbiotic relationship. Um you know, we don't really know for sure because they're so darn hard to study. And that's why, you know, it felt really special to me to be able to go and actually see them and see that they're real <laughs> little little creatures that, you know, are just part of all of our lives, even though we never see them. Thank God we don't see them. So they're just maybe just do, <laughs> doing their job or something. Like, maybe they're just doing their job. That's right. Wow. You have so much fascinating information. Give okay. Again, we want people to go out and get the book. It's called Gory Details: Adventures from the Dark Side of Science, and I mean it gets really dark. So tell us about toilet rats. I mean, rats are bad enough. But <laughs> you, you mean there's a spe- there's specific toilet rats? Oh, wow. I mean, did you you've even got yes. information dedicated to roaches? Uh, growing up in in the southwest in Houston, which is of course very very humid, mm-hmm. uh, lots of critters, cockroaches and flying roaches, and wherever humidity comes. Um, so I'm very familiar with those jokers. But give, give us some what we probably don't need to know, but need to know about roaches, and why do they all look just alike? <laughs> 
Yeah. Now, roaches, I, I actually read one person's description of them as being, um, you know, one of the one of the best designs that evolution has ever come up with because they are truly uh, almost indestructible. Uh, I, I spoke to scientists who were studying roaches in the lab, and they were actually trying to design uh, robots that work a little bit like roaches because roaches are so indestructible, so tough that, you know, how they always say that, you know, if there was a nuclear blast, there'd be nothing left but the roaches. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's almost true. And so so in trying to design a better robot, you know, scientists have looked at them to try to understand how they do what they do. Um, and some of the amazing abilities that they have, okay, this is gross, but it's pretty fascinating. Roaches um, can, can run almost as fast uh, with four of their legs missing what? <laughs> as they can. Yes. So they actually did experiments where they started, you know, cutting off their little roachy feet and then cutting off legs. And the scientist found, you know, he if he cut off two out of the six legs, the roaches ran just as fast. Oh, um, and <laughs> and they can squish themselves down to, you know, like the height of two pennies and they can run just as fast when they're while they're squished through a really tight crevice as they can on, you know, just without it being squashed. And so when you think about how you, you know, step on a roach yeah. and it seems like it's so hard to kill it, well, that's for a reason. You know, they're very compressible. And these scientists even tested them by putting greater and greater amounts of weight on them. And they could support up to 900 times their own body weight without any damage. I mean, it was like it didn't hurt them at all. That would be like putting, you know, a couple of forklifts on top of a person, <laughs> and it doesn't hurt them at all. So, you know, I, again, just like with rats, um, they freak me out <laughs> just like everybody else, but you have to be impressed by their amazing abilities. I just don't even know what is the purpose of roaches. Why do we even have them? They don't do anything. <laughs> Well, they, you know, actually there are so many species of roaches. We're only familiar with a few of them that tend to get into our houses um, and be pests. But there are actually, uh, I think, a couple thousand species of roaches, oh. and um, some of them are really beautiful. You'd be surprised. Yay. I've seen pictures of ones that were, like, iridescent and different colors, really, like, bright green, really quite lovely. And most of them... Um, are just insects out there in the forest or in the, you know, out in the environment doing their thing and they never hurt us. It's really only a couple species of them that really <laughs> become pests inside the house and, and really gross us out. So do you, do you mean there's at least 2,000 species of roaches? Oh, my goodness. I, something like that. I'm I, I'm going to have to look it up. Let's see. Oh, here it is. There there are about 4,600 known species of cockroaches, oh, even wow. more than I said before. That's even yeah, worse. and most of them most of them we'll never even see. You know, there's Thank really you. only a handful that are that are pests. Yes, I'm so appreciative. We'll never see them. <laughs> see, that's what makes your book so fascinating. It's just you know everyday things and creatures and insects that we see that get on our nerves 
but there is a story behind them that we never would yeah. know. But but okay, so you mentioned earlier about you know will will some dogs eat your body if you're dead? I mean, is that true? Or mm-hmm. tell us about that. Yeah, actually, I had a this was you know a question from a friend that I started to investigate. You know, she said she'd heard that this sometimes happens and. As a person living alone with pets, she kind of wondered whether <laughs> this might be the, her fate one day. So I looked into it and, and um, did a, a deep dive in the forensic science <laughs> literature looking for case reports. And it turns out that, yes, it's not terribly uncommon for uh, a dog to, to eat a person after they died. And, um, you know, that sounds terrible, and you might think, oh, those – you know, so much for man's best friend. But really what we think is probably happening is that in many cases, the dog is just very upset and it's trying to wake the owner up. And when they aren't responsive, then, you know, the licking might turn to biting and the biting Mm -hmm. might turn to eating. And so it's not always necessarily the case that the animal is uh, is starving and, and eats the person for food, which can happen as well. Of course, any animal, you know, if, if it, you know, is starving is going to eat what's available. But, um, but, you know, it can also just happen because in a sense, they just love us so much and they get really upset when someone dies. Uh, so in that sense, I thought, well, I guess it's sort of sweet. (laughs) It kind of. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But you know, one of the things that, that uh, of, of all the different topics that you address in the book, Gory Details, um, I have always been fascinated and pondered why is it for some people that clowns are scary? Why are some people are scared of clowns? And you kind of go into that. Oh, yeah. So tell tell me, tell everybody about the, the whole connection with the clowns thing. <laughs> the clowns, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I don't know about you, but certainly a lot of people now um, are afraid of clowns and think they're really creepy. I mean, that's a word that people use probably even more so than funny or happy for clowns these days. Uh, You know, I don't think it was always that way, but certainly psychologists say that clowns, um, clowns are kind of a perfect storm of creepiness when you stop and think about it, because what makes something creepy? What makes something creepy different from something that's just scary? Right. And creepiness is really when there's uncertainty. You don't know whether this thing is going to harm you or not. It, you know, that's what that eerie, creepy feeling is. It's like, I think something feels off, but I'm not sure if it's necessarily going to hurt me. And clowns, because they have that, you know, weird makeup and they act in really unpredictable ways, you know, they're jokesters and pranksters. And so you don't know what they're going to do next. And in that sense, it makes a lot of sense that that would come across to us as creepy, you know, our our brains are trying to figure out the situation, <laughs> and it's not really clear whether this is safe or not. Well, that kind of goes, I guess, because you know, with the popularity of these different films, you know, with the crazy Pennywise and all of those mm-hmm. types of clowns, um, you know, yeah, clowns have taken on a real kind of psychopath 
status now. Right. Yeah, right. And so I, I think that, you know, in terms of, of how we went from clowns being like Ronald McDonald, happy, yeah. you know, something for kids, to this thing where people are just terrified of clowns, mm-hmm. to where it's, you know, like a phobia for a lot of people. Um, you know, I think it, it's because they already were right on that edge of being a little bit off and almost creepy. And then if you start to see some depictions of them, like Stephen King's It with Pennywise the Clown or, you know, other scary clowns that have been in movies and, you know, in books and so forth, then it's easy to see how that could kind of flip from being something that was right on the edge but still fun to being just too much. It's creepy. (laughs) Exactly, yes. So now... My curiosity has been kind of answered now with, with this whole thing with clowns and, you know, why are people so freaked out about clowns? And so you kind of really made it make sense, as they say on social media, make it make sense. Great. And you've done that so well. <laughs> well, let me this last question here. Uh, I see that you have appeared in, in comedy clubs because you have such a wonderful way with storytelling. So I was wondering, have you used information from your, your book or, or when your podcast about the, the gory details in comedy clubs or what? <laughs> well, I, I have, um, have done some storytelling and, yeah, and a couple times that has been in comedy clubs, and I tend to tell stories about myself, you know, embarrassing, strange things that have happened to me. <laughs> and I, I guess I have that kind of self-deprecating sense of humor, you know. Um, you know, I don't know if gross things tend to happen to me more than other people, but I certainly feel like I've had my fair share of experiences, like with the toilet rats that oh, I was talking yeah. about before. That was based on personal experience. Um, so, yeah, so I, I certainly um, – like to tell stories that involve a little bit of science and um, some of that from personal experience. I know college kids must love you. I, I, I know you are in the UT uh, University of Tennessee area there, uh, mm-hmm. having lived in Nashville for many years myself. I know that whole area is very, as I, I say, college college-y. Uh, so yes. Yes, college kids must love your book. They have to. Oh, I, I certainly hope they will. Um, you know, I think this is – I tend to say that I write sort of like um, gross stuff for grown-ups. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people tend to assume when I say that I write about gross things that I might be writing for little kids. Uh-huh. And um, and I tend to say, uh, well, some of it's, you know, really would go over little kids' heads. I'm not really aiming – I'm not really writing for children. Um, but I certainly think that young adults and like college students and those kind of folks, um, I, I hope that I can inspire some people to get interested in science who maybe don't think that they're interested in science to begin with. But when you start looking at all of the wonderful, weird things going on in the world around us, it really shows you how fascinating science can be. It is quite, quite fascinating. And this is totally my last question. I'm going to land this airplane. Uh, Okay, you, you've had the face mite situation. You had the toilet mm-hmm. rat personal experience. So yep. overall, with your book in mind, what is the most grossest thing that has happened to you personally based upon your book here? <laughs> well, I would say the grossest thing that has happened to me personally was 
as part of my problem with the rats, I ended up killing some, poisoning some rats in my house out of desperation to, to get rid of them. And I ended up accidentally creating an absolute uh, swarm blowflies. So oh. when the rats died, uh, blowflies, you know, come in and this is what they're good at. They find a dead body and they colonized that. And I came home from a trip and I'm not lying. There were, I could hear the buzz of flies behind the basement door. It was, it was that loud. There were so many of them in there. And when I opened the door, it was an absolute swarm of flies, thousands, thousands, thousands of big, oh. giant blowflies, which are not like little houseflies. They are big <laughs> and they buzz and they like thunk into you and you can feel it. Oh. And, um, that was probably, that was the grossest, most freaky thing that's ever happened to me Gosh, was walking so into a house absolutely filled to the brim with those flies. And, uh, I mean, I can't believe it. I, I, I thought I could have only killed, a, you know, a rat or two. <laughs> I don't oh. know where they all came from, but they, they had probably had like multiple generations of flies that, um, that were born. <laughs> Mated uh, and reproduced <laughs> in my house, and it was absolutely a sight to behold. <laughs> and you could hear the buzz before you opened the door. Oh, absolutely, I could, I could. And some of them had, I had had the basement door closed while I was out on a trip. Um, and when I walked into the house, I saw a couple of flies, and I thought that was weird. But then when I walked over to the basement door, I could hear it. I could hear the buzz behind the door. I mean. It was, I, I can't even describe to you, I can't even guess how many thousands of flies were um, were filling my basement, which, which this was like a finished basement that had a living room in it. And, um, I mean, just clearing them all out was... How did you get them out? ...was a job. It took forever. It took for, I mean, I had to, I mean, I, for one, I had to wait until the sun came up and open windows um, and try to, you know, get as many of them out as possible. But then they kept being born. Oh. There were more of them. There were more of them coming all the time. I mean, it really, it took, I would say a month and, um, to get rid of all of them. And then, and then I had to repaint basically my whole house because they, there was fly poop on all of the walls. Oh, like, no. It was. Fly poop? Yes. <laughs> fly poop. I mean, imagine thousands of flies. Uh, eventually, they poop. I think I would have just sold <laughs> so the house. So the whole house had to be cleaned, and it was. Uh -uh. I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, how could anything be grosser than that? That is. That has to be the grossest thing okay. that's ever happened to me. <laughs> so let's do the math here. You got thousands of blow flies, two, three dead rats that brought them there. Aftermath is flight. Poop. Erica, you should have just sold the house. I'm sorry. You, you know what? You know what? It wasn't too much longer than that that we did sell that house. <laughs> we did sell that house, and, you know, uh, this was in D.C., and the, the D.C. property market being what it is, we made good money on that house. <laughs> Thank goodness. And I, did, I was like, I'm not telling them anything about why it's been repainted. <laughs> You know, that sounds like a scene from a Stephen King movie. 
I know. It's buzz, buzz, buzz. Open the door. It's the attack of the blowflies. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I was, you know, even though I'm someone who writes about creepy crawlies and all of this weird and gross stuff, I have to admit, like, it's just an instinct. I was, I was terrified. I mean, I ran out of the house when, movie, when those movie. flies were in there. I don't blame you. So the way that you finally got rid of them, you just kept opening the windows and the doors and they laughed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much all I could do. I mean, you know, and at some point I did finally um, release, do like a, a chemical, you know, bug bomb type thing yeah. to get some of the ones at the end. Um, and that was gross too. I mean, (laughs) but there was, there was no good solution. There was no good solution to this problem because you certainly can't, you're not going to swat them all. You're not Uh going to, you know, (laughs) I I ended up sitting, I, when at the night, when I found them originally, it was at night and I ended up, um, you know, they're, they're attracted to light. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up sitting outside in my car with the headlights aimed toward the door of the house trying to draw them out <laughs> because just opening the door didn't do it they wouldn't fly out in the dark and so i turned on the brights on my car headlights <laughs> to to draw them out and that got some of them <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they so they're not so all of this happened initially at night which makes it even more creepier Yes. Oh my God, Erica. Man. Yeah, you it you yeah. really are deserving of this book. Yeah, you've had some great adventures. <laughs> great adventures. So I've got to let everybody know how do you you have a blog site and and all of that. So how can people you know communicate with you and share their creepy gory stories? Sure. Absolutely. Um, go to my website at gorydetailsbook.com. Okay. That's gorydetailsbook.com, and you can sign up for my newsletter. You can uh, find out all about the book and where to buy it and um, and keep up with me on all of the great gory details of life. And I would love for readers to, to contact me and ask me all of their you know, weird, gross questions and all of that can go in my newsletter. Oh, great. Well, I'm going to sign up as soon as this call ends because this is, even though it's gross, it's it's really kind of, fun. It's, well, it's quite funny and it's informative. Yeah. It's very informative. Yeah. And you have such a good way of, of writing and your storytelling that you make it, your real yucky subjects, you make it so much more pleasant as, as well as educating yeah. us as well. That's what I'm aiming for, yes. I appreciate that. You do a wonderful job of that. So it's gorydetailsbook.com. Is that it? Yes, that's okay. it. And that's the same handle for all your social media pages as well? I'm um, on Twitter. I'm at Gory Erica, okay. Erica with a K. Okay. And um, and and those are the the best ways of finding me. Okay. At Gory Erica. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Well, Erica, you have. I mean, I know we we missed each other about a week ago because some more wild mm-hmm. things were happening unexpectedly. But you have been such a delight chatting with you, and I've learned a lot. I've had some laughs. 
And uh, I love your book. And now I can, I think I'm going to go back and read it some more because now that I've talked to the author, I can appreciate it even more. So thank you so much. I appreciate that. Really thank you. And I'm going to join your mailing list as soon as I hang up on this call. Thank you so much. It's been a blast talking to you, and thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. And you're welcome to come back on your next book or your next project. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thanks so much. Okay. Take care then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, we are back with more of Film Festival Radio Show. Took a quick break there. I cannot stop thinking about Erica's book, Gory Details. Gory, gory details. Face mites, really? We all have face mites? I'm just never going to wash my face the same again after. Just you got to read the book. If you're kind of into that, I mean, even, even if you're not totally into it, you read the book, there's a lot of interesting information in there that you never thought about that really does exist in this actual science. So, yeah, go get that book. Gory details. Okay, um, that brings us to our next guest here. Uh, my next guest, uh, unfortunately, he is not available to us uh, live because we usually bring you our guests live, but... Uh, our guest is filmmaker. His name is Alex Liu. And the reason he's not with us live is because as we speak, he is preparing uh, to be a part of CineQuest.org. CineQuest.org, the big film festival. It is um, taking place starting today through March 30th. And so if you would like to, of course, like most events is taking place virtually. You can go to their website, CineQuest, C-I-N-E-Q-U-E-S-T dot O-R-G. And so Alex's big film will be making its big premiere splash at uh, CineQuest. And I don't know the exact time, but just go to the website, uh, or either you can go to Alex's website. I'll give you that shortly. But go to the CineQuest.org website and get all of the information to see his film and I don't know how many more. It's a long film festival. I love long film festivals. But back to Alex. Again, his name is Alex Liu, and he wrote, directed, and he stars in this documentary film that he created. I'll give you a little bit of information about it, then we will, because uh, we pre-recorded and talked to him uh, earlier this week because we knew he would be at CineQuest. This film is a documentary, and his title is Sex Planation. Yeah, good play on words, isn't it? And it is already an official selection at the American Documentary and Animation Film Festival. Uh, again, we'll be premiering at CineQuest. And I'll tell you really quickly, it's, um, it's, a, it's a documentary about and explaining sex. 
No, it's not porn. It's not any of that. It's a, uh, the filmmaker does an excellent job of talking and interviewing neuroscience people, uh, all kinds of uh, sex researchers. He even talks to a Jesuit priest. Yes, yes. And, and the film is not preachy. It's, it's done with humor uh, as well as, you know, seriousness, because it is a serious subject matter, but it doesn't burden you down and beat you across the head. He is kind of playful, uh, and Alex kind of lets viewers take a part of his own personal journey. Uh, and I won't give that away. We'll just let Alex talk about that. But again, it's, the title is uh, sex, com, and the website is a sexplanation.com and there you will find clips you will find uh, just the story of how the movie came into existence and the, the journey that it is now taking as it continues to rack up awards along the film festival circuit here so as I said we recorded our interview with Alex earlier this week he was such a delight to chat with and I think you will definitely enjoy not only the conversation with Alex but also just him talking about the film and his content and overall it's very well done so let's bring on Alex Lou and my chat with him about his new documentary film Sexplanation okay everyone I have my next guest here he's a very talented filmmaker who is uh, also a director, and he wrote uh, this documentary. His name is Alex Liu, and uh, the title is Sexplanation, and we're going to explain what is Sexplanation all about. So, Alex, welcome to the show, and give us uh, this very creative and clever title and the origin of it. Uh, yeah, first, thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time. Uh, yeah, so uh, the title of Explanation is clearly a pod plan word, uh, explanation about sex, it's explanation. Uh, but also kind of, you know, the tongue-in-cheek double entendre is also a sex plan for the nation, kind of uh, really taking aim at sex education in America and how we can make it better. Okay, I think that sums it up perfectly. Now, I also want to mention that this film is an official selection at the upcoming CineQuest Film Festival that starts March 20th through the 30th, and it's already been an official selection at the American Documentary and Animation Film Festival. So, Alex, you're obviously doing a lot of things correct with this documentary. Congratulations. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to, trying to, yeah. And I also want to mention that if people want to go uh, to the the film has it's so it's such a grown, bold, wonderful film. It has its own website. It's a sexplanation dot com. It is a s e x p l a n a t i o n dot com, and we'll give you that listeners that website again before we're done. So okay, so Alex, back to the film here, the doc. Um, yeah. Yeah. My my summary is that of your film is that sex is not the boogeyman of our lives that we were all made to believe <laughs> that it's okay. Yes, yes. It, it, it's not as scary to talk about it as we might feel. Uh, you know, it feels often scary, taboo, uncomfortable, and it, it might be all those things. Uh, but slowly, slowly, you know, I think uh, we've come to realize, be open about it, it's much better to be closed and repressed about it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So it's okay to talk about sex, and it's even okay to have sex. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's 
Okay. Yeah. We are sexual beings. We are, we sexual, are sexual beings. beings. And, and there's no way around it. You know, you might, uh, Grace, I'm one of the experts that, you know, you know, you might wish you were not a sexual being, but you have really no choice in the matter. Yes, we are. That's how we all got here from previous mm-hmm. sexual being parents and grandparents and such. Right. <laughs> about yourself, Alex, is that you, it's a serious topic, but you have found a way to put a bit of a twinge of humor in it as well as, so it, you're not being preachy about it, which is still. Oh, I'm glad you feel that way, yeah. We, we, we wanted to make sure we were not pre- being preachy. I think maybe that's the initial, you know, when we started, we, I was maybe a little preachy, but very quickly, meeting people, talking to people, I realized I knew nothing about what I was talking about but hopefully letting experts shine and then letting people come to their own conclusions. Okay. And to further speak of experts, uh, in the film you talk to experts, psychologists and sex researchers about this whole topic. But what I want to know is how did you come to talk to the Jesuit priest? Was that uncomfortable? Was it cringy? Or just how did that all come about? Yes. Um, you cut out there a little bit. What were, you, what were you asking about exactly? I was asking about, you talk to, in the film, you talk to psychologists and sex researchers and all kinds of experts on the topic of sex. But what I want to know is that how did you come about talking to the Jesuit priest? How did that come about? Mm. Yeah, so... So uh, in, in the film, we spoke to uh, Father Donald Godfrey, a wonderful, sweet man uh, who uh, basically is the spiritual leader at the University of San Francisco for the staff there. Uh, and, and I think through the film, we realized how much the Judeo-Christian ethic, specifically the Catholic Church, has played into our feelings about sex and sexuality, sexual morality. You know, my, my grandmother and my mother, they were raised Catholic, and they were told by their, their priests not to learn about their menstrual cycle, that it was, that it was you know, sinning against God to learn about their bodies. And so it became very clear how much that had trickled down, you know, through the generations and how much my own view of sex sexuality was influenced by the Catholic Church. So, so I thought to make it a fair um, documentary, I should probably talk to someone in the Catholic Church to make sure I wasn't characterizing them, I wasn't demonizing them. Uh, that we give them, you know, a way to speak. And, and I happen to just be doing research about, you know, very few Catholic priests are willing to speak openly about sexuality in a positive way. Um, and he just happens to be a person who's willing to do that, who kind of thinks that the Catholic Church, he's willing to go on the limb and say, you know, the Catholic Church needs to be able to speak about um, the positive benefits of sex, that, that sex is more than reproduction. It is about um, mutual love and understanding and connection of human beings. Um, and so, you know, very quickly I was drawn to his message. And, and in, a, in a funny, weird way, I, I, I became more connected to sex again on a, on a spiritual level just talking with him. It was, it was an amazing conversation we had, uh, one that I hope everyone gets get, get something out of. And so after the finished product uh, was, was released, or what's been his reaction um, to being in the film and about the film overall? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it yet. We're, we're going to show it to him next week. Oh, next week. Uh, so, so we'll see. But, I mean, I, 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 we've, we've explained it. I've met him a couple of times that filming, kind of talking him through the, the, the film. He's seen the trailer. Uh, and I think he's, He's a little nervous, I think, but I think he's excited about the idea that um, maybe he can present the Catholic Church in, in a more positive light than, than 
research and putting the film together, what did, what did you find out, or did you find out, why do you think Americans are so puritanical about the topic of sex? What is that about? Yeah, I mean, it's right there in your question. You know, Puritans came to this country because they had very specific beliefs about, um, you know, I think it's not, not too far, I'm going out too far on a limb to say they're very anti-pleasure, uh, kind of repressive, you know, they had very strict ideas about sex and sexual morality, and that's kind of just been a general thread throughout American history, you know, that, that um, you know, I think for many different reasons, um, you know, centuries ago, it was very necessary for society to be very strict about sex, because if they weren't, um, you know, you could, before birth control, before contraception, before, you know, many of the new medical innovations that have helped us um, kind of express your sexuality a little more freely, um, you you know, if, if, if there was sex outside of marriage, if there were kids outside of wedlock, there, that could be caused a lot of problems. It makes sense in any way. Um, but, but, you know, the, the trade-off there is that, that people feel very repressed. It, it, it takes a hit on their mental health. Uh, they can't express who they are in a loving, safe way. Um, so, so, you know, as, as, as we have gone through the ages, as people got more rights, as we got more educated about the wide diversity of, of human sexuality, and then we've been able to, you know, help people have the families they want to have when they want to have it. I think uh, that's really opened up a lot in terms of how we can, you know, really um, express that side of ourselves in a way that um, uh, hopefully promotes a happier, healthier uh, culture. Now, share with uh, the listeners, what was your journey? I know it's a long story, but the thumbnail version of your journey that led you to do this particular documentary on this topic of sex education. Yeah, so basically, I'm gay. Uh, coming out in the uh, late 90s, it was a minefield for both me and my, my parents. So I'm lucky that I my parents were open, loving, immediately. I, I came out relatively early compared to my peers because I knew they would be, that that wouldn't be a problem for them. But, but we didn't know what we were doing. We had never talked about these things before as a family. We had never really experienced what it meant to be a gay person in, in the world, how to navigate that. Um, and it was, it was a really, you know, depressing, anxious time in my life. And luckily, I, I had parents who put me into, you know, uh, to see a therapist um, who did as much research around the science of sexuality. And soon it became very clear that if we had just been exposed to some very simple, basic ideas about sex and sexuality, basically getting a good, decent sex education, we could have avoided so much of the pain and suffering and anguish that, that we all had to kind of go through as a family. So, so I, you know, and... Basically, I, I don't want any other family, person, human being to have to go through that when, you know, the information is out there. It's just maybe not as easily accessible as, as possible. So hopefully what I'm doing with the movie is um, in a fun, entertaining, uh, emotional, personal story, I'm kind of just laying out the arguments for comprehensive sex education in a way that doesn't, um, that kind of addresses a lot of the fears many, many families and parents might have about sex education. And so what's been your family's uh, reaction to your film? <laughs> um, so I was, I was so nervous uh, showing this because it is very personal. We, we talk, we, we, they're, they're very gracious in being in the film, talking about uh, my, my puberty and growing up. Um, and, and I've just been 
I, I, I can't ask for a better parent. You know, I, I think they, they were loving, they got it right away, they, they, they could see how it could help people, and, and they were, you know, just so gracious with uh, the, the, the support and, and the feedback. So, so I, I'm, you know, with that, with that kind of mental hurdle out of the way, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited than ever for the world to, to do so. Oh, well, and actually get to meet my parents, which is kind of exciting. Well, it's very well done, uh, very well researched, and very well done, isn't it? Oh, thank you. Thank very you. well done. Well, now, um, okay, the film uh, opened up earlier this month. Uh, as I said, it will be screening at Cinequest Film Festival March 20th through the 30th. Actually, actually the, 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 the world premiere is March 20th. So you've March 20th, March 30th, screening online worldwide. Anyone can see it. It's only $4. Uh, so if you go to a techplace.com, you can get tickets and hopefully uh, give me part of the premiere work with us. And then we're having screening parties. If you go to, to the uh, Cinequest website, look for look up the explanation screening party. Uh, we're going to have three of them during the run, and we're going to have uh, different experts from the film are going to join us. You can ask any questions you have, any follow-up questions. I will also make it a fun event for everyone to participate. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun, Alex. You are really inclusive. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that's that's yeah. really good. Well, I got a couple of last questions here. Uh, since I love the yes, title, I love the title so much. It's such a, a, a good double entendre. So, what came first, the title explanation, or did the idea for the film come first for you? But the idea did come first. We talked around a lot of different ideas. It was, you know, it was untitled sex education documentary for a long time. Uh, but I have a wonderful producer named Stephen Flynn uh, out of London, and uh, he kind of came up with that title, and, and we kind of used it as a placeholder, but it stuck, and, and we ran with it because I think it does encapsulate what we're trying to do, a fun, funny, punny, uh, you know, uh, sex education documentary. I know you got T-shirts with this on it. You have to. <laughs> Uh, but just being very early on when, when your children have questions, just 
answer it. And you know your kids answer in an appropriate age, appropriate way. Answer, but don't, but don't lie. If you don't know the answer, you know, say, you know, I'll figure I'll, that's a good question. I'll, let's do some research, figure it out together. Um, and just kind of know that, that, that ultimately the talk needs to be spread out across the child's lifetime because at different stages of development, different questions. It's being comfortable to have at least one minute talks at a time. You know, don't make it a big thing, make a tiny little one minute talk. And your kids will start to realize this is something that, you know, is okay to talk about. It's okay about to, to, to be, um, to be open about and to ask questions about. And that if they do have questions, they're not going to turn to pornography. They're not going to turn to their peers. They'll turn to you, the parent, because you have shown that you're an askable adult. And, and sometimes it does require you to be, uh, proactive in, in it. You know, maybe just, Using correct names of your anatomy, uh, maybe just asking the kid if they have any questions, just being that open, askable adult. And, 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 um, and, and, and if this is hard for you, there are a lot of resources online. And Julie Metzger, uh, runs a, a, a class in which a child and a parent take the sex education course together. So, you know, there are a lot of classes like this that you and your child can go take together at the right age level. Uh, and that can help open up the conversation if you don't feel comfortable with You can have a nurse or a doctor start that conversation. And hopefully, you know, lots of trial and error. Uh, be kind and gentle to yourself. Uh, and, 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 you know, you, uh, it, it's hopefully you can start to navigate, you know, uh, a lot of these, these questions for your children. That, I think that's very helpful, extremely helpful, especially if parents are that nervous. You know, just kind of put it on the shoulders of yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing to talk about it. And, and hopefully, though, you can make sure that, that it gets easier and easier for the next generation. Absolutely. Well, to close it out, tell everybody once again the website, any social media pages so they can all join in on the fun of the, to join the big viewing party when it, uh, everything takes place. Yes, yes. So, again, it, it is a sexlation.com. We're going to have a film festival run, uh, hopefully over the next six months. So if you missed this time, hopefully you'll be able to get it again. But if you go to sexplanation.com, we'll have all the ticket links there for you. Uh, and all our social media handles are uh, a sexplanation. So, so you can see, get the information there as well. Okay. Okay. So, Mr. Alex, what is the next project for you? Yeah. So, so, you know, there are so many amazing interviews that we didn't get to be in that we didn't, that didn't make the cut for the film. And one of the great interviews we had, we actually went to uh, Provo, Utah, very heavily, a big Mormon population there, so 80, 90% Mormon. Um, and we talked with community leaders in Provo who are trying to help the Mormon church see gay people as human beings, help gay teens come out. Uh, and, and part of that was uh, basically opening up this gay youth center right across the street from the Mormon church where gay teens can come and do homework, you know, sing songs, uh, and, and inviting their families to be there, too. And slowly through this process of, you know, just, just seeing very, very clearly that these gay teens, their families, were just regular, normal people of the community. Slowly, a lot of Mormon bishops and people in the community started to have a different opinion about gay people. And, and... Uh, that's just one example of something that wasn't able to be in the film, but I'm very interested in my next film to kind of see how do we start to have more conversations like that. It doesn't have to be about gay people. It can be about different religions, different races, different cultures, different genders. Um, but who are the people who are actually doing the work, leading with love, to try to make sure we all see each other as human beings first?
first. And I think more and more in our day and age, that's getting harder and harder. Oh, wow. Well, this definitely sounds like another project that all communities will be able to relate to and learn from as well. I hope so. Oh, yeah. Well, you're doing an absolutely fabulous job. Is this your first uh, film or what? It is my first documentary, yeah. Oh, wow. Alex, you hit a home run here. Goodness. I mean, I've read some reviews. You've got some very good reviews uh, of it, and rightfully so. So, again, uh, aceexplanation.com is the website and and the social media handle. Everybody join in. And I'm going to be waiting on that T-shirt when the merch is released. So, uh, <laughs> okay, I'll tell Roz, and well, you'll tell Roz, and we'll get it all done. And I'm going to proudly wear it around. And <laughs> it's such a cute title about a serious topic matter. So thank you again for being my guest. And, uh, you know, have, of, of course, you will have fun at CineQuest and the other film festivals as well. Uh, thank you. Okay, thank, take care. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, and I'll probably join in online uh, at some of the viewing parties at one of them and say hello to you. Oh, great. It would be great, great, great to, yeah, it'd be great to meet you there. Absolutely. Okay, well, thank you again, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, thank you so much, Alex. Yes, I am going to get that T-shirt and wear it as soon as uh, they get them in. So, again, if you want to take a look at uh, Alex's film, it's a very well-done documentary, asexplanation.com is the website, and you can catch all of uh, what's going on with CineQuest uh, right now, cinequest.com, see Alex's film along with many others. And also want to thank Alex for being my guest along with uh, Erica for being our guest as well. Make sure you go out and get her book, Gory Details. Gory Details is a fun book. It really is. And, of course, always thank you guys for listening. And you can catch us on filmfestivalradio.com, the website. And also we are airing on uh, one of the Sirius XM channels, Channel 470, that airs, show airs every Saturday at noon, same time as here on KSHP. So you've got a choice. You can listen to both of us at the same time, both channels. How about doing that? So anyway, we'll see you guys next week. Have a fun week. Stay safe. Continue to stay safe and healthy. And we'll see you next Saturday on another edition of Film Festival Radio. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com.